Our sermon text this morning comes from John 12, 44 through 50. And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. I have come into the world as a light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. If anyone hears my words and does not, if anyone hears my words and does not keep them, I do not judge him. For I do not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. This is the word of the Lord. We are in John chapter 12, finishing up John chapter 12 this morning. We begin next week the multiple chapters through Jesus' Last Supper with his disciples. We're in John chapter 12, if you didn't see it on the screen, verses 44 through 50. Before we begin looking at Jesus' words unto life, let's humble ourselves in prayer. God, your word, these songs tell us that it's sweet to trust in our precious Jesus. They command our souls to look to you and be dazzled by your glory. We beg you to show us Christ because our eyes can't see him in this darkness unless you open our eyes. It's not that the darkness has overcome the light, it's that our eyes are not open. We cover them because we hate the light in our natural state. Yet, you call us to trust you, that there is light to follow you into the light, that Jesus has made a way to remove our blindness. And that's why we come here today. That's why we sit under the preaching of the word. It is an act of faith, of trust, of belief to say, to come here and say, I can't see. Help me see. So we ask that you would use this word this morning, oh God, to help us see. Amen. An advertising campaign for an eyeglasses company declares through, through these supposed video experience sightings of aliens and yetis and other mythical creatures that seeing is believing. If your eyes can see the creatures that they put on the TV, then you can believe they are real. And because it's a commercial selling eyeglasses, more incredibly, if you can see this offer for glasses for only $6.99, you can believe the deal is real. Seeing is believing. That theme was also beautifully put on display on the silver screen in the holiday movie, The Polar Express. The whole story is leading viewers to see the reality of Santa Claus so that you can truly become believers. 
You could say, I don't believe in him, but you're seeing him right before your eyes. You're experiencing his magic. How can you not believe? We live in a world that is convinced that seeing is believing. People want to see their sports teams see some success before they really start supporting them with fandom. We want to see other people buy into technology before we drop our own money on it. We want to see many other people join a movement before we jump in ourselves. We want to see scientific evidence before we trust in something. And we want to see God work before we believe him. But that's not the way this world really works. This seeing is believing idea, this mindset betrays pride that's in our hearts, where we think that we are smart enough, clever enough, careful enough, discerning enough to see truth if it's right in front of our faces. But as Jake explained from last week's text, no matter how much scientific evidence or historical reliability or display of strength or clarity of truth that God gives, we can't see it. We have become like our idols. We have eyes, but can't see. Quite literally, as displayed by the the religious people of Jesus' day, if God is standing right in front of you, you still can't see him. No matter how much we're told, open your eyes and see the glory of God, we can't. So we're in a little bit of a pickle. How do we obey this command? Jesus shines his light right in front of us. The whole earth is full of his glory, he tells us. But we can't see it. So what are we to do? The answer is not see in order to believe, but instead believe Jesus' words in order that you may see. Believe Jesus' words that you may see his glory. A thousand years ago, a pastor in the town of Canterbury named Anselm, he argued that Christ here is calling us to faith-seeking understanding. He understood that you can't just logically convince someone, argue someone into the faith. We must first believe that Jesus is who he says he is and that he accomplished what he said and that he will do what he promised to fulfill. Then you will see. Then the world will begin to make sense. 700 years before him, a guy named Augustine, or Augustine if you're from Minnesota, he called us to believe that you may understand. Or more recently, there's this guy named C.S. Lewis. He was not a believer in Jesus as a young man. He adamantly insisted there is no proof for any religion, especially the worst of them all, Christianity. But through the insistent preaching of the word, invitations for him to trust the life, death, and resurrection, he became a reluctant convert, searching for answers, hungry for some truth, not knowing where else to look. He trusted Jesus. And finally, the world began to make sense to him, and he grew into one of the world's most influential defenders of the faith. And he asserted many years later, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the Son 
has risen. Not only because I see it, sure, big deal, but because by it, I see everything else. It was only after believing that he could see so clearly. Thus, we are called to believe Jesus' words that you may see his glory. So in verses 44 through 46, we'll see Jesus explain how belief is primary, calling us to belief unto sight. And then verses 47 to 50, Jesus describes what we are to believe in order that we would have sight unto eternal life. First, belief unto sight, and then that believing sight turns into life. So let's read the text again, starting in verse 44, with a heart that is believing in order to see. John writes, And Jesus cried out and said, Whoever believes in me, believes not in me, but in him who sent me. And whoever sees me, sees him who sent me. I have come into the world as light, so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. In John's gospel, these are the very last public words before Jesus' trial and execution. So John is using this section to wrap up the ministry of Jesus before he heads to the cross. He's presented, he's kind of summarizing all the themes that we've covered from chapter 1 through chapter 12, showing that Jesus has clearly fulfilled every one of those Old Testament promises that he listed. But this is so much more than just a summary, wrapping up all that Jesus has done so far. Jesus is making a clarifying point here. He has clearly revealed who he was, who he is, but they can't see it. Jesus will explain that it, they can't, it's not that he's a fraud and that's why they can't see it. Everything he did, the Father is behind it all. Everything he says, everything he does is from the Father, even if they can't see it. Remember what this scene is a continuation from, what Jake preached last week. These people are fulfilling Isaiah's prophecy where he saw the glory of God on his throne pouring out to fill the earth. But they're not able to see the glory right in front of them. Isaiah saw the earth full of God's glory, but they are blind. And as judgment for their idolatry. They're not blind in order to be judged. The judgment is their blindness because of previous idolatry. They have become like their idols. They have eyes carved into a little piece of stone, but they don't work. So in verses 42 and 43, while it appears that many were believing in him, John writes, but for fear of the Pharisees, they did not confess it so that they would not be put out of the synagogue because for they loved the glory that comes from man rather than the glory that comes from God. If they believed, then they would see the glory of God. That same glory that Isaiah saw. And if they saw the glory of God, how in the world could they possibly love the glory of man more? That doesn't make any sense. Something's not lining up. Imagine if I were to tell you 
that I barely made it to worship this morning on time. Because on my way in this morning, I was driving my little Honda Civic, blew a tire, flew across the median, head on into a semi-truck traveling 70 miles an hour the opposite direction. And my little Civic crunched up like an aluminum can, but I peeled myself out the window, wiped off the dust, and walked the rest of the way here. Not a scratch, bruise, broken bone on me. You'd rightly say, something's not lining up with your story, Pastor Adam. The same is true here. The people are claiming to have had an encounter with the holy, majestic, glorious creator of the universe who led Isaiah to call woes upon himself. He thought he would melt in the glory of God. But these people remain unchanged in their affections. They can't see. Obviously, we're not talking about simple visual observation, right? By sight, Jesus is talking about an intimate encounter with God that dramatically changes how you live, how you see the world. We're not allowed to just say, oh yeah, I, I believe in Jesus and then define him however we want. We just read these descriptions in the Bible and say, yeah, he's a, he's a great teacher, had some good wisdom to maybe apply to my life. We can't let that be the extent of our experience with Jesus. He is calling us to see so much more in a way that changes how we live. So Jesus explains in verse 44 that believing in him is believing in God. Seeing him is seeing God. God is the one who sent him. Remember when Isaiah had his vision of God on his throne and God said, who will go for us? Who, whom shall I send to go proclaim this glory? And Isaiah, here I am, send me, I'll go. And God did send him to explain all that he saw, but they couldn't understand because they had become statue-like in their sensory abilities. And now God is sending someone even greater than Isaiah in order to remove the blindness. God sent his own son, stepping off of that glorious throne, bringing the light near in a veiled way so it wasn't so bright and melty, so that we could see it more clearly. So if you trust him, he says, you're trusting the God that sent him, the God that Isaiah saw the God that sent Isaiah. If you see Jesus, you're seeing that same God that Isaiah saw. They can't see it, though, because they're still blind. The reality is that holy, holy, holy God, whose glory fills the earth, has now come and is standing right in front of them to lead them out of the darkness. Jesus didn't come, though, to just prove how blind they are. Watch this trick, guys. I'm going to show them all my glory, and they're not even going to flinch. He says in verse 46, he brought this glorious light into the world so that whoever believes in me, the result will be they may not remain in darkness. So notice the order. Jesus doesn't say whoever sees him may believe, Whoever goes walking out of the darkness will then see him and believe. 
They're blind. They can't see him. He says belief precedes sight. The way out of darkness is belief. That's the entire theme of this whole book. We've referenced the, in John chapter 20, verse 31, multiple times. That's the whole theme. The reason why John wrote these things is so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and then by believing, you may have life in his name. The way to walk in the life of light is by believing. So what does it mean to believe? That word is a synonym with trust, faith. You trust somebody else's knowledge more than yours. You're trusting someone else's sight more than yours. You trust someone else's abilities more than your own. If you're literally blind, you know there's a world out there, but you can't figure out how to get around in it unless someone takes you by the hand and walks you through it. You are trusting that person to guide you into safety. But even more than what Jesus isn't just promising to walk us around in the darkness, he says he'll give us sight. If an eye surgeon says to you, I can heal your blindness, you need to trust him to skillfully put a knife to your eye to repair it. First comes the trust, then comes the sight. So the question is, what are we supposed to believe? What are we trusting Jesus to do? And that's what he explains now in verses 47 through 50. And then he'll accomplish in the following chapters, particularly in his death and resurrection. He's giving us sight unto life. Let's read starting in 47 again. If anyone hears my words and does not keep them, oh no, what's going to happen? I do not judge him. Hmm. For I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So Jesus is explaining here what it is we are to believe. The emphasis is on hearing his words and then making them part of your life, trusting those words to remove your blindness. Ten times, John is using phrases related to words and speech, drawing attention to Jesus' words. Trust his words. Follow his words. Believe his words. Grab a hold of his words like a guiding hand through the darkness. First, you must hear the words and trust them. Then you act on the words as proof that you really do trust them. And through acting on them, you will receive sight. The sight that he promised in the words. You didn't earn them. They were just right there in the words that you went along with. It's like going in for eye surgery. You might not have a clue how the surgery works. And the, the complex mystery of your eyeballs and your brain. Amazing complexity that God designed. But you want to see. And the surgeon tells you he has this ability and he's proven his skill 
In doing such work, you trust him. If you don't trust the surgeon, you won't get on the operating table, and then you won't be able to see, and you'll still walk in darkness. But if you do believe his ability, you lie down on that table, and you wake up seeing. You trust his words. What words does Jesus want us to keep and believe? The words that he speaks about are judgment and salvation. Interestingly, he says this strange thing, the one who rejects his words, he has not come to judge, but to save. Before we make too many judgments, assumptions here, we've got to be really careful. He's not telling us that there will never be judgment. He'll clarify that shortly. He's simply saying that he came at this moment to give people sight. He came to do eye surgery. And in the chapters to come, he's going to go to the cross to take your judgment for your sin upon himself so that if you believe that that covered all of your sins, wiped them all away, his sacrifice cleans you, then you can walk free seeing his light. Now, at this moment when he's saying these things, nobody understands that. Nobody can really comprehend the complexity of their own sin and how it's broken this world. None of them really knows how Jesus is going to do this surgery. He's just saying, trust me. Believe that I have come to bring salvation. If they don't trust him, if they don't believe he can do it, they're already in the dark. What more is there to do? It's like he told Nicodemus in chapter 3. Whoever does not believe is condemned already. God's wrath abides on him. People are walking in the darkness already, so he didn't come to throw them into darkness. They're already in darkness. He came to pull people out of the darkness. Now, to clarify, he does say in the next verse, in verse 48, that judgment will come. This we must believe as well. Our sin deserves judgment. Being ignorant of his truth, being blind, is not an excuse for sin. Now is not the time for God to judge, he says, but for you to believe him, that he will rescue from a judgment that is coming. And when that judgment comes on the last day, these will be the very words God will use as evidence of your sin, of your refusal to believe. Jesus' words in the end will simply be evidence that some people love the glory of man more than the glory of God. They refuse to believe when they had the chance. Today, he says, is the day of salvation. Remember that Jesus is warning those who say they believe but haven't yet stepped out into the light. As though they, they're living as though they haven't seen God's glory yet. He's warning them that there is no middle ground in this faith. There's no saying you believe but walking as you, though you can't see the light. Belief gives sight. Those who say they believe but aren't changed must not, maybe, maybe he's just giving them the benefit of the doubt. Though he's God, he knows what's in their hearts. But he's trying to teach us something here. Maybe... They just haven't matured in their belief yet. So he's giving them clarity. 
Maybe their faith is immature and he's going to give them another respond to another opportunity to respond rightly. A preacher once said that the gospel should either make people angry or get them saved. You would get angry when the gospel is preached because the gospel exposes your sin. And if you love your sin, you will hate it. You will hate the gospel because you don't like anybody telling you what you can and can't do. Or you will get saved because the gospel exposes your sin and you hate your sin. And you cling to Jesus to pull you out of it. If you don't have one of those reactions, perhaps you're not understanding the message clearly. So Jesus is crying out, with a final plea of clarity before the nails in his hands seal their fate. The same message will save some and judge others. Those who it is judging, God's wrath remains on them. His words will judge them. The same message that gives life to a believer also proclaims condemnation to the idolater. This is why some people get so angry and lash out when you preach the gospel at them. You're like, I just said you can go to heaven for free without doing anything. Isn't that great news? Why do people hate it? That's why when you plead with someone who's, who you love and have poured into and they're wandering into sin, you say, no, don't do that anymore, please. And they spew hatred at you. Because they love the glory of men more than God. But then another person, you plead with them when they are sinning and they say, oh, you're right. That's not good. That's going to destroy me. Thank you for revealing that to me. And they throw away that sin and run to Jesus. One person loves sin, the other hates it. Salvation and judgment, both at the cross. If you let go of your sin there, it is your salvation. If you cling to your sin there, it is just a picture of the judgment to come upon you. How you respond to the cross either secures your judgment or frees you from it. There's no middle ground. That's a a, a message for us who do cling to Jesus. Eventually, people's true state will be exposed. Paul had to encourage Pastor Timothy in 1 Timothy 5 not to get emotional about all the various responses to this message. He says, the sins of some people are obvious going before them to judgment, but the sins of others appear later. So also good works are obvious, even those that are not cannot remain hidden. You preach this message. Some people are going to fool themselves and others until it's too late. Perhaps their sin will be exposed sooner and we'll be able to remove them from the congregation. Others seem to have a tiny faith, but it will grow. It will eventually grow in sight. And we can have the confidence that these things will happen because God's powerful authority is at work through Christ's words. That's what he says in verses 49 and 50. It begins with the word for. That means because. This is the guarantee, the ground of what he's been explaining. 
These things are going to happen because his words aren't his words alone. They're the Father's. His deeds are not his works alone, but the Father's. His miraculous, kind, generous work and power aren't his alone, but the Father's. Jesus is a board-certified, heaven-endorsed spiritual eye surgeon. He's coming to do what the Father sent him to do. His commandments, his words are eternal life. So if it is life in the light you want, you will listen to the words. These words of the Father being spoken through Christ and you will trust them. You will get on his operating table and let him work on you. You have the promise of God the Father. Jesus is telling them, don't just dismiss me as some lunatic. Don't just put me in your pocket as as an a insightful teacher with some wise sayings. My words are so much more than that. You can't just save them for later. These are God's words. The exact same thing he said, I say. These are the words of the creator who brings life into the world. You should respond to them in the exact same way you would if God were standing right in front of you speaking them to you. Because he is. If you want to make sense of this world, if you long for a vision like Isaiah had, it is right in front of you in Jesus. It is in his words. Believe his words and you will see. Don't just hear the words and say you believe. Show you believe by acting on them. Take his hand. Walk where he tells you to step. Avoid the dangerous obstacles he warns you about. Duck when he says, watch your head. Sit still and wait when he tells you to stop. This isn't working your way to heaven with good deeds. It's simply acting on belief that he will get you there. Trust his eyes to be your sight and he will lead you into the light. So what should we take home from this today? Primarily, this text is a warning to all of us not to be a pretender. It's a warning against false belief. You can't wait to believe until after you've seen enough. That will never happen. Believe Jesus' words. Believe all the words that tell us about who he is. Believe that his death paid for the judgment on your sins. Believe his resurrection will pull you out of the darkness. Believe he has sent his spirit to walk you through into that world full of light. Rejection does not typically look like bold, flat-out denial of the gospel. It usually looks like verses 42 and 43. It's passive rejection where you show up and do all the motions. You say you believe, but you continue to walk as though you have not had an encounter with the holy God of the universe. You're more concerned about what those around you say about you. Listening to all the voices in the world, the words of the world around you, joining the world's movements, getting caught up in the fears of your non-Christian neighbors, trusting the words of other spiritually blind people. It's like a blind person walking through the dark and just crashing into things. I got it. I can see just fine. Leave me alone. These words call us to believe. 
believe there is judgment upon your sin, but also believe that he has the ability to free you from them. Ponder his words, consider your darkness, dwell on his promises, and trust him to guide you into the light. Paul says when you believe in 1 Corinthians 13 that we see dimly for a while until Christ returns. But he encourages the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that as you look to Jesus, as you hear his words, as you follow his direction, as you gather with his people, it will transform your sight from one degree of glory to another. While we walk with him, he begins to open our eyes so we can see. He brings us into a deeper and deeper understanding of this word and all of its beautiful intricacies. Everything in life begins to make more sense the more you step out in faith. The glory of man grows so dim in comparison to the glory of Christ. The fear of man lessens compared to the fear of God and all that he can do. Don't let the world's declarations scare you. Those are people just crying out in fear of the dark. But we who believe can see the light. The news, the government, major organizations, they will make these proclamations in the darkness, trying to scare you into falling in line. The world's going to end because of, insert the thing of the day, war on the other side of the world, capitalistic greed, viruses, asteroids, climate change, injustice, lack of reproductive freedom, whatever that means. These are the things that people who are afraid of the dark say. But we who believe walk in the light. Those in the dark will try to convince you that you are the bad guy. And if only you listened to them, if only you were nicer and more affirming to their darkness, then we could all get along and then they might consider following Jesus. But seeing is not believing. Don't be tricked into thinking that you need to show the world something so that then they will believe. A world in sin who hates Jesus will try to blame you for their own inability to see. They'll try to point out your hypocrisy. They'll try to say you're not nice enough. Your tone is too negative. They'll claim that you aren't welcoming enough. But seeing is not believing. Jesus was everything they claim they wanted to see. And they killed him. He was perfectly kind and generous, perfectly just. He healed people and they hated him. They can't see until they believe. So believe until you understand. If you have questions this morning about the Bible, if you have fears about where this world is going, if there are really painful things in your life that you're dealing with, doubts about the future, believe, trust that Jesus sees better than you. Trust that he knows more than you do. Trust that he has power beyond your imagination and he has glorious light to give you answers to all those questions. Believe him and ask those good questions with these people. Pursue answers to those questions. If you have faith that he has answers, he will give you eyes to see. Your faith will lead to understanding. 
Believe Jesus' words and you will see his glory. Let's pray. God, whatever tiny faith is present in this gathering today, would you grow it? Would you affirm it by giving sight? Would you reward it by showing your beauty, your glory? God, I know there are some in here who struggle. I don't understand. This hurts so much. I'm so confused. I doubt. I see too many hypocrites. People in the church have hurt me. God, you have great answers to all of those things, but we cannot simply be brought to faith with reason. Would you soften hearts now that we would lay our hearts before your throne? We would cast our sin at the foot of the cross and we would believe. We would trust that Jesus will turn it into life, into sight. Would you help us now act on that belief as we move to communion, as we move to worship more? I pray that even this time that we share this meal together would be the first time that someone in this room finally can see and that this is a moment of fresh worship of our crucified and risen Savior for them. May we all persevere in that same faith. Amen.